I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I spent my weekend on the mechanical bowl. That's right. I'm talking about practice. It's high noon for Monday, February 22nd, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gavin Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or on the Telegram Messenger app by going to t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. Now, what an announcement I have for you. I have a merch store on Teespring right now, and you can get there by going to www.cancelcotour.com. Dot com. So it's like cancel culture, but with a U instead of the instead of the L that would be there in culture. So cancelcouture.com. And there's t-shirts and mugs and even face masks that can be deployed as trolling tactics for all the commies that you might run into. I think one of my favorite activities is triggering commies. It's great, trust me. So go check out the merch over there, get yourself a hoodie, get yourself a coffee mug. I have ones that say, cancel me. And the whole idea behind the the Cancel Couture logo is it's kind of like the Chanel logo, but the C's are sickles. And then the old hammer drops right down and becomes the T in couture. So as you can see, there's a lot going on. (laughs) I also have t-shirts with a big black square and right under it, it says solved it. So that you too can let everyone know that you solved racism with your black square. But don't worry, I made one with a white square too in case any people who aren't white want to solve racism as well. I also have a Spirit of 21 shirt where those patriots, you know, playing the flute and a drum in that old Spirit of 76 painting, they have returned from the past to lead the charge in the spirit of 71, except now they're wearing gas masks. And one of them has a MAGA hat on. It's it's really great, trust me. I also have high noon shirts with a mechanical bull out on the range. It's all there. (laughs) And I even have the shirt that I've wanted to make from the beginning that just has a big gray, like cause ribbon on it. You know how like they have the pink ribbon for breast cancer and the red ribbon for AIDS. So I have a gray ribbon 
that can be exported to any cause. And the shirt just simply says, I support your cause. And this is how you let the commies know that no matter what it is they're pretending to support, you are prepared to pretend to support that thing too. So it's perfect, really. So www.cancelcotour.com. And I promise to never advertise anything for that long ever again, unless they pay me a whole lot of money to do it. And then I will tell you that they paid me a whole lot of money to advertise that thing to you. So getting beyond all of that, today is the 33rd full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy, President Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese party to the extent that he will happily call concentration camps just another cultural norm, which is not only an insult to the Chinese people and especially to the Uyghurs who are currently in those concentration camps, it is an insult to every American citizen who now has to think in terms of cultural relativism about concentration camps. So Joe Biden and his legion of 50 or so million communist supporters who voted for him and then pretended not to notice the overwhelming election fraud. Now those people have been publicly declared as supporting the very things that I said they were supporting for the last five years, which is a descent into fascism and Nazism through their wokeness, their cultural Marxism. We pretend that Nazism had nothing to do with communism. That is not true. It is a collectivist philosophy. That is the problem. Taking people, putting them into groups, and then assigning value to those groups. And that value dictates what they're allowed to say, what they're allowed to do, what they're allowed to think. And we are only seeing more of this. That only goes in one direction, and it will not stop until it is stopped. The accumulation of power has no end. Power begets more power. That's the point. That's the philosophy. And that's what they want. Will they continue to, to divide and demonize groups to get more power? Yes, they will. Who are they coming after first? Well, first they came after white men. Then they went to, well, sort of white women, right? But first it was all men. And white women can just declare themselves allies and then they get out of the equation, or so they think. But the feminist thing has such pull. And it is the same philosophy. So a lot of women latch onto that. Well, I can't speak out against this because it's feminism and I'm a woman and that would be wrong. 
There's your first mistake, ladies. You fight against bad philosophies and bad actors because they're bad. It's not about whether or not you can determine a situation where their action might help you. You do it because it's right. You reject this stage of feminism because it's wrong and it's Marxism. That's what it is. And they will continue and move through every other group. Whiteness is now the problem. Whiteness. And we see this in what was just exposed last week about Coca-Cola. And Candace Owens tweeted a few slides of this from Friday. There was an internal whistleblower who let this presentation out. Coca-Cola has tried to say that you know, this is just a presentation that they give to employees. But the presentation is called Confronting Racism, Understanding What It Means to Be White, Challenging What It Means to Be Racist. So the goal then is to be less white. And to be less white, according to this presentation, is to be less oppressive, be less arrogant, be less certain, be less defensive, be less ignorant, be more humble, listen, believe, break with apathy, and break with white solidarity. So this basically says that the condition of whiteness, to be white, is to be oppressive, arrogant, certain, defensive, and ignorant, to lack humility, to fail to listen, to fail to believe, to be apathetic, and to have solidarity with white people. Now, does that sound like it describes the vast majority of white people? No, of course not. But this is now how white people have been defined as a group. And that's political demonization. There's nothing more to it than that. This isn't complicated. When Gina Carano made the, comp the comparison that got her fired, talking about how it was friends and neighbors who beat people in the streets and who turned them over to the Nazis. This is what she was talking about. They all had cultural license that they took for moral license to destroy people based on their immutable characteristics and their place within a group. It is intentional, it's public, it's sanctioned by our culture. This is what a large enough portion of the influential culture, the people actually in power, this is what they think. It is preposterous to imagine that there is this overarching white supremacist power that controls everything. And at the same time, see with your own eyes every day that every institution of actual power, people that make decisions, this is what they'd say about white people and whiteness. A white supremacist society 
would never allow that, right? That would make absolutely no sense. Another slide. In the U.S. and other Western nations, white people are socialized to feel better or to feel that they are inherently superior because they are white. Research shows that by age three to four, children understand that it is better to be white. Now, I don't know what research shows that. And I would love to see that study and pick that one apart because that is utter nonsense. And if something like that is true, that's a problem with the popular culture, not with whiteness. That's a problem that's being inflicted upon the world by these people, because these people are the ones who have been creating culture for decades. The last slide is try to be less white. Unbelievable stuff we've got going on here. Folks, just kidding, I don't say folks. Folks is such a stupid, stupid word. Now we have to call everybody folks. Folks, folks. I didn't even really mean to talk about that today. But it's real, so we gotta. Now, uh, I thought this weekend that there was one of the most amazing pieces of uh, internet, social media content that I've ever seen. And I used to work in social media. We would think about content strategies, campaign strategies, what stuff will appeal to people, how it will affect them, what stuff is likely to be shared, what stuff is likely to have an impact. And this weekend, I, you know, I don't have my normal setup right now, so I would at least play the audio of Joe Biden talking. But uh, there was a video that was released and some, like, honestly, hilarious and uh, brave black dude was, he made this video responding to, Joe Biden's comments about how it was difficult for black and Hispanic people to get online, which is in a normal culture, something that would just obviously be called extraordinarily racist. Like getting online is not difficult. Filling out forms online is not difficult. The idea that people can't do this is insulting. So this dude, made this video where he's like uh, kind of bouncing around the room uh, like in a squat position with his hand down like he's an ape and or a caveman. And he's kind of like circling this this laptop on the floor while Biden's face is up on a TV screen. You know, that clip from CNN where he's talking about all this and the dude kind of circles around the computer and he picks it up. And he like tries biting it and then he throws it back down like he's scared of it. He opens the top up. It's hilarious, honestly. And it's so effective. Like the message is so simple and so clear. He's obviously saying that Biden just apparently thinks that black and Hispanic people are stupid and primitive. And by the way, unlike Trump, there's actually a history of Joe Biden legitimately being like this and speaking like this in public political forums, including the U.S. Senate. 
Joe Biden is literally the guy who brags about having written the 90s crime bill. And then in that same CNN town hall last week, he was saying how it was absurd for anybody to be in prison over drug use and drug charges. But hey, Joe, that was you. And the, the simplicity of the message is beautiful because it can't be misunderstood. And at the same time, it's very visceral because it's appealing to historical prejudices. And it's taking them and turning them on, on their face for what we consider the Democrat Party now to represent. And that our impression of the Democrat Party, if you're 45 and under, is that they're the party who's all about fixing racism. That straight up just is not true. The Democrat Party is the same as the Democrat Party has always historically been. They were the party of the KKK. Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton's political mentor was a former Grand Kleagle and exalted Cyclops of the KKK. That's Robert Byrd. You can look it up. Then you've got all these Democrat political families with communist ties. We talked about Nancy Pelosi's on Friday. What's happening now is not a mistake. It is not different from past movements. It is the same movement. The philosophy is the same. And all the woke talk and all that nonsense, that's not out there to appeal to black people. That's out there to convince the people who make the culture that they are good even while they're doing this terrible thing. And so the art we get is propaganda. The advertisements are propaganda. The corporations are all in line with this stuff because it helps their bottom line. The powerful corporations I'm talking about, the big ones. Colleges disseminate this nonsense. The media disseminates this nonsense. And that's how we get to where we are. You can't separate the fact that these people have the feeling of pure and absolute moral goodness, even though they can't explain their positions on any of these issues, and they don't know anything about any of these issues. They are supporting the problem while pretending they're the solution to the problem. And we know what the problem is. If the solution was to elect more Democrats, then that solution would have worked at some point. Instead, what we see is the entrenchment of Democrat power in every one of the cities that they use as an, as an example of where the black and Hispanic communities, always communities, never people, never individuals, it's communities, where they're always downtrodden, where they're always vulnerable, where they're always disadvantaged. Those places have been dominated by Democrat rule for six decades. In some places, even longer than that, Democrat mayors, Democrat governors, Democrat senators, Democrats running the state houses. If Democrat policies worked, they would have already worked, right? We keep getting this story from the media that the problem is we just haven't tried these things. 
But these things have been tried historically, and they've been tried in America in certain places, and they have not worked. In fact, they make things worse. They always make things worse. That's the policy. Now, to continue on about terrible Democrat policies that don't work but do benefit big business, boom, segue. Let's go to communist California representative Ro Khanna, who this weekend talking about a $15 minimum wage, which by the way, Democrats are trying to pass in a COVID relief bill. Those two things have nothing to do with one another, but they're trying to get this passed in a COVID relief bill so that they can say, if people don't go along with it, then they're not interested in giving COVID relief to the population. But the truth is the Democrats are not interested in giving COVID relief to the nation. They could have done it countless times before now. They could have done it during the Trump presidency, the official one, simply bypassing it. But they wouldn't do that because Nancy Pelosi wanted four things. She wanted bailouts for Democrat states who had mismanaged their states and especially mismanaged the COVID response. She wanted concessions for teachers unions, including meeting all of their Black Lives Matter demands. And then she wanted universal mail-in unsolicited balloting and universal ballot harvesting. That is why we don't have COVID relief and why we haven't for the last, what, eight months, nine months? That's the reason. It's not about minimum wage. It's not about anything else. It's not about Republicans not being willing to go along. They're not willing to go along with these terrible communist policies, which is honestly surprising because most establishment Republicans aren't any different than these commies. And we have seen that quite clearly when none of them, almost none of them, stood up to object to the fraudulent election. So Ro Khanna talking about this $15 minimum wage, he's asked, hey, well, you know, isn't that going to be a big problem for the small businesses who can't afford to pay that? And Ro Khanna says that we actually don't, we as a country, he's now speaking for everybody, but of course he's speaking for the communist viewpoint. We don't want small businesses that can't afford to do that. Oh, really? And why don't we want that? Because there's just some moral certitude that $15 is the right amount of money for a McDonald's cashier? or for somebody who's maybe stocking the shelves at someone's small store, $15 is just the right amount. That's what they deserve. Minimum wage jobs are not careers. You put in a $15 minimum wage and all those cashiers you think you're benefiting, well, they're gonna be replaced by an iPad. And then you don't have them making anything. The minimum wage argument is one of the stupidest arguments of all time. Especially at the overinflated and senseless number of $15 an hour, which might be impossible to live on in a major city. But it's not in a small town. 
and even some small cities. Wages only make sense insofar as the person can add greater value than that wage to the business or that that person could sell their labor somewhere else for more than they're selling it at your business. If wages are artificially set at a level that can't be sustained, then we have businesses going out of business. That's not a good thing. Now, speaking of more morons doing the cable news shows on the weekend, boom, segue, maybe, maybe two in a row. Maybe I'll just segue the entire show. Who's to say? Not me yet, although I'll try. So Brian Stelter, CNN's human potato, who hosts a show with the Orwellian title Reliable Sources, had the editor-in-chief of PolitiFact on to discuss Governor Cuomo's dilemma in New York. And her appearance was, and I don't mean her physical appearance, her appearance on the show was unbelievable. She said that the issue in New York is really a data issue. It's about the data. And the data she's referring to, by the way, are the data that they intentionally withheld from New York state representatives and from federal investigators because they didn't want the issue to become, as Cuomo's aide, Melissa DeRosa says, a political football. That's what she called a data issue. That's not a data issue. That's a corruption issue. That's an obstruction of justice issue. And it's a moral issue. It's not a data issue. But then she was like, but that aside, you know, their nursing home numbers are similar to other states. Well, that's not, an, uh, that's not any evidence whatsoever that he didn't, that his policies didn't directly kill people who would not have died. That's not evidence of that. It's not evidence of anything. It's a distraction. This is PolitiFact, by the way. This is how they do their fact checks. And she said that there's no hard evidence that putting patients back into nursing homes had a significant impact on deaths. Well, that too is false. Because again, last week we had a New York watchdog in Albany do a study about that policy and say that it did have a significant impact on the number of deaths. So unless this woman from PolitiFact is going to dispute the details of that article by running another fact check, of course, or by uh, you know the details of that study, then there in fact is hard evidence that putting patients back into nursing homes had a significant impact on deaths. So basically, just like COVID, just like the media's response to COVID, just like Andrew Cuomo's response to COVID, the study doesn't count if it doesn't support their point of view. And then she says that, and she basically gives like the everybody knows angle, which I've talked about before. You know how so many liberal arguments are, well, everybody knows that women make 80 cents to the dollar of what men make. Well, no, not everybody knows that because it's not true. You take it as true because everybody on your side 
says it, but no one knows a thing that's not true. So she says that everyone knows that healthcare workers actually brought the virus into those facilities, and that was the problem. But there's no hard evidence of that. Where's the hard evidence of that, PolitiFact lady or potato man? So the study with the hard evidence doesn't count because it gives the wrong outcome. And then she gets away with saying it's a data issue while failing to address that side of the issue, the corruption part. This isn't primarily about Andrew Cuomo's decision. If the decision was the right decision, then he should have had no reason to hide it. But the decision was the wrong decision. And he hid it to make sure that no one got to it. Now, you might say, well, you know, it was it was a new virus. It was very new and it was very scary at that time. And so that's why he made the decision. But, you know, the virus, it's so unpredictable. We don't know anything. And so it's not his fault for making that decision. Well, I'll actually be very charitable and very reasonable here and say, okay, that could be, that could be a true statement. And if that's a true statement, that the decision was made without us knowing the right or wrong decision, and it turned out that it was wrong, why is he still defending the decision? And why is he defending it after getting caught with the cover-up? If you are a responsible leader dealing with an uncertain situation where wrong decisions will definitely at some point be made because no one's going to bat a thousand on it, then you should be standing up and speaking out and saying, guys, you know what? This thing I tried, I tried it here. We thought it was the right decision at the time. It turns out it wasn't. And I hope nobody else makes that same mistake. That's entirely different than a cover-up. And that's what we have now. I've already let everyone down on the segue promise. So there's no segue here except inside the segment, there will be segues. And I'm going to tell you how right now. Thematically, this segment is going to be all about fast food. So McDonald's has decided that they will be cutting their executive bonuses if they fail to reach certain hiring quotas dictated by race and gender. This stuff is crazy, all right? And I mean, it's worse than crazy. I already talked about this before, but this, this is pure evil shit. Like the country had gotten to a place where, you know, despite people's individual personal feelings or animosities, that wasn't, people's personal feelings weren't the overriding societal push. Like we had decided that discrimination was a bad thing and that it couldn't be part of our law, part of our system. And so we got rid of that. We passed laws against it. But now we're bringing that back. And not only is the discrimination being brought back 
It's being amplified. This is now a good thing. It is profitable for McDonald's. It is good for McDonald's. By the way, a worldwide corporation. I wonder how they do in China. But it's now profitable and it's good for them as an organization to advertise the fact that they will be discriminating on the basis of race and sex in their hiring process. And that that discrimination will be compensated by McDonald's. And if you fail to discriminate, then they will slash your compensation. And so what kind of people does this bring into an organization? When you are the product of a discriminatory hire, you should see that as insulting. I would. If someone like hired me because I was a man, I would be like, well, that's fucked up. And I would be permanently insecure because I would have the knowledge that somebody more qualified didn't get the job. I feel like that's how normal people react to this kind of stuff. Maybe people are just all in it for their own advantage and they're happy to exploit the race and gender stuff right now. I think it's fucking gross, honestly. When I see people exploiting that stuff, I'm like, Jesus, is there anything you won't do for a little extra money? Anyway, fuck these corporations, man. It's honestly amazing to me that these people who think that they are anti-corporate, they think corporations are the problem, and then they vote for Joe Biden, and they vote for shit like this, and they vote for $15 minimum wage. You know who can survive a $15 minimum wage? McDonald's. You know who can't? The fucking burger store down the street where you like the burger better than McDonald's. That place will be gone and then you will be eating McDonald's and you'll be ordering it off an iPad. So all the things that you think you're doing to benefit the world will actually harm the world and it'll take away the options of things that you like. But One place that's not losing options, boom segue, Taco Bell, where Taco Bell is now going to have a a crispy chicken sandwich taco, okay? I guess that they want to jump on board the copy Chick-fil-A thing, where now they're like, oh, we're going to copy Popeye's. And if Popeye's was first, I don't care, man. You be hipster about your Popeye's. I don't give a shit. I'm telling you the way I came to know about this stuff. If I'm wrong, all good. This is not an important subject. Taco Bell is testing out a crispy chicken sandwich taco. Here's the thing. In the title of the taco, it says it's not a taco. There is no such thing as a crispy chicken sandwich taco. It's either a crispy chicken taco or it just doesn't exist at all because we should all refuse to go along with the redefining of words like this. (laughs) There's no part of it that's a sandwich. It's just in the picture like crispy chicken with like some weird cheese sauce and two old jalapenos. So that's not a sandwich. 
I'm actually not even sure it's a taco, but it's from Taco Bell. So maybe everything they sell is a taco. Maybe Taco Bell's menu is like whiteness and you just you just ascribe all of the characteristics to it. So one of the characteristics is that everything there's a taco, just like all white people are arrogant. And here's my last fast food story. I drove the, uh, I, I woke up early the other morning. I think it was Saturday. I wake up really early, a lot of mornings now because my girlfriend's insane and she likes to work out at 6 a.m. So I just get up at 5.30 when she does. And I went the other day to grab a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts because it was just along my drive, right? And I opened the door and one of the cashiers is like, hey, are you just picking up an order? And I was like, oh, no, thanks. And I thought she was gonna take my order right there. I was like, I can just come around to the, to the register and order like a normal person. And uh, she was like, okay, well, can I just have you wait outside then? And I'm like, what? Because there were like six people inside the, inside the Dunkin' Donuts. And yes, I'm in Southern California, but it's still really cold in the mornings. It's like below 50 degrees. And it was kind of like cloudy, just like not that nice a day. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? I stood there in front of it for a second and I even had my bandana mask on, which obviously doesn't do anything except for please commies. And I stood there for two seconds and I'm like, wait a second. I will not be told to wait in line outside for a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. At some point, we all just have to, to put our foot down and be like, okay, you know what? I'm a human and I am not going to be told that I need to stand outside to wait for Dunkin' Donuts to invite me in for a disease that I can't get and can't be hurt from in a room with seven other people who also can't get the disease there. Why can't they get it? Well, because that's not how the disease gets transmitted. And this is another thing that we have known forever, but somehow we don't talk about. The disease is transmitted in close contact with a person who has symptoms. And that's it. Like, Almost 100% of the cases are that. They know that. And then we still pretend that we might get it from someone who's within six feet of us, even though we both have masks on, if we're at the same place for longer than, what, three seconds? Four minutes? This shit is insane. It's insane. I mean, I know I've said insane like a thousand times over the last year, but sometimes it's really just hard to believe this is real. Dunkin' Donuts. And by the way, no offense to minimum wage workers or whatever they get paid at Dunkin' Donuts, but the idea that a corporation has minimum wage workers telling the customers that they have to wait outside 10 months later, 11 months later, we're now 11 months, more than 11 months, almost a year into California lockdowns. And we have to wait outside a fucking Dunkin' Donuts. 
I will never do that, ever. I turned around, I got back in my car, and I went somewhere else. And now the point of the story is not to say that I'm Rosa Parks or something. I'm simply saying that every now and then, we need to step back from these life situations we find ourselves in and think about it in a bigger picture. Like, is it appropriate that humans are told to wait in line outside for Dunkin' Donuts? No. Like, put a doggy door in. I'll crawl through that. It's time to eat the donuts. Now, last but certainly not least, 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, the woman of the debacle interview with Donald Trump a few months back, she did a long, quote-unquote, investigative piece about QAnon. And having 60 Minutes explain Q to you is like wondering how to use TikTok and thinking, I should call my grandparents to find out. And maybe while I'm on the phone with them, I'll have them explain cryptocurrency to me too. And 60 Minutes proceeded to thoroughly embarrass themselves and basically advertise Q, which is hilarious. I mean, I've stated my position on Q a million times, either a PSYOP, guy in his basement, or real. It could be real and a PSYOP. It could be a guy in his basement and a PSYOP. It could be any combination of those things. And in one way or another, it's certainly a PSYOP because it has a psychological effect, and the psychological effect is intended. But the state media is a PSYOP too. 60 Minutes is a PSYOP. CNN is a PSYOP. They lie to people, they lie to an entire country of people to influence their mood, their thinking, and their behavior. And somehow, within the scope of their investigation, they never bothered talking to anyone who actually knows what Q is or has looked into Q. They talked to a a huge, like, ball of a person who is a pastor in Ohio and apparently talks occasionally on a podcast about QAnon. And this guy like holds sermons in this little booth and has drive-in customers that listen on their radios, I guess to protect everybody from COVID because he's on the good team. But he's basically, he was basically saying that, that Q is a heresy and that the commun- the, Q- the Q community is a bunch of heretics because it takes you away from Christ or something. I don't know, man, these arguments are so convoluted. I mean, they have to argue within the scope of what their claimed expertise is, or they're not adding anything to the discussion. So they actually have to, like, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail, that kind of thing, right? If you're a progressive communist pastor, then everything needs to be, this is bad for Jesus, right? So it's not good enough that Q is either right or wrong, or there's no analysis of Q provided whatsoever. It's just that Q is bad for Jesus, even though it is completely, not completely, but very much about Christianity. And tens of millions, CBS actually somehow admitted this, 60 Minutes said it, 
that there are tens of millions of Americans who believe this, and many of them are Christians. So the pastor is not really representing a, a majority opinion there. But of course, the religious majority opinion is never represented by the media. And then they bring on some other whimpering beta male about how his 70-year-old mother is into Q. And these two guys are just talking about how, oh, I don't know how anybody could believe this thing that I don't know anything about. Well, that's why you can't understand. It's because you don't know anything about it. People might also say to the pastor, for instance, hey, I don't believe in God. If that pastor is worth anything, his response would be something like, well, perhaps you're not understanding God in the way I do. Maybe you'll let me tell you about my understanding, and then we can see if we have something in common on this issue, and maybe we can both learn something. But that's not what's happening here. These guys don't know what Q is, and neither does 60 Minutes, and no one bothers to find out. They didn't show a Q post. They didn't talk about the research that people were doing. They had someone, some lady from uh, DHS on, and she, Leslie Stahl asked her, like, did DHS drop the ball on QAnon? And the woman from DHS, and again, this is now, this is February of 2021. Q started in October of 2017. She says, I think we just really didn't understand what was happening as it was happening. Well, yeah, no shit. And you still don't understand it now. If you did understand it, you wouldn't be worried about it. They had some guy come on there talking about how, oh, well, you know, since Donald Trump uh, lost the election, they've started talking about a Q army and it's gotten, the, the talk has gotten considerably more violent. This is crazy. Again, the Q narrative and the idea that there is a plan and that this corruption is slowly being exposed has prevented violence. There's nothing in the Q dialogue that is violent. None of it is violent. It doesn't promote violence. It also doesn't promote white supremacy in any way. It, supro it supports Christianity. It supports American patriotism and nationalism, which has nothing to do with race. And it teaches people what subjects to go research. And again, all this research, all this storytelling, all this learning has helped to expose so many issues of corruption in our country. And it does it in real time because the people in that community searching for the answers, and those are Anons. There is no QAnon. There is Q, which is a poster on a board uh, uh, an anonymous message board. And then there are Anons. And the Anons are just nameless people on the internet doing research and posting their research. And sometimes they post jokes and sometimes they post memes and sometimes they say naughty things. For impact, for reaction, for attention, who knows? But that's Anons. That's not Q. None of what they ascribe to Q or to Anons 
actually exists. It doesn't attach to reality in any way. They talk about it being nothing more than this crazed group of people who believe that Donald Trump is going to save the world from uh, satanic pedophiles. And they describe it as the Democrats, uh, I think like corrupt people around the world and the deep state. But again, that's even a false description right there. It's not just Democrats. The thing, the whole thing is about corruption. It's about understanding what the actual deep state has done, what Democrats and Republicans have done, what we have done in wars, what we have done in partnership with other nations. That stuff actually matters. It's good that more people know about that. But they don't want that. They don't want people to know about that. They want the CIA media to be the CIA media. They want one story out there. And that's as much as they want to tell you. That's the story that needs to be controlled. You don't get more than that because then you'll figure out that the whole house of cards will collapse. The DHS lady actually said that deplatforming does help. And she said that while like looking up to the side, like lady, you're lying. She said that, that we didn't do the deplatforming soon enough. That's the main problem. Is that if only Twitter and Facebook and everybody took action earlier, we wouldn't have this problem. But it's not a problem. And they're saying the Q is morphing into stuff about vaccines. Well, vaccines have already been an issue for years. People have been on that issue. They're basically taking all the beliefs that they don't like, ascribing them to a community, like a self-identifying community that doesn't exist with any coordination or organization whatsoever. And she's just, they're ascribing beliefs to this entire community of people, to tens of millions of people, and they don't even understand the beliefs in the first place. It's madness. And then hilariously, they actually dropped a cube proof in there for some reason. <laughs> they don't know that they're doing this stuff. I think that they just did this because they wanted to attach Donald Trump directly to Q because they think that there's so much danger in both of those that they're going to turn some people off to both maybe for communists, but everybody else is like, yeah, that just proves them right, doesn't it? Because somebody asked for Trump to include the phrase tip top and he did it on Easter. He said tip top shape and then he said tippy tippy top or something like that. He made it very clear that he was responding to that thing. And the media thinks that this actually makes Q look worse. These people are very, very, very stupid. And I lied about that being the last subject. There is obviously the matter of the Supreme Court today uh, denying the opportunity to proceed for a bunch of these election fraud cases. Uh, Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, and Justice Gorsuch all dissented. They only needed one more vote to get these cases to proceed, and they couldn't find it out of Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. They both shit the bed. Or, you know, perhaps this is just what needed to happen. You got to wait and see. I mean, the likelihood of the Supreme Court overturning the elections, I was hopeful. I was hopeful. I think everyone was hopeful.
but it didn't happen. And so we keep working. There's no crying in this game and no dooming. Uh, I'm going to figure out some more about this. I also want to get everybody's eyes on this document um, that I have. I think it was, it was posted on one of the Telegram channels last night. And it's definitely in my info stream on there at t.me slash I'm your moderator. But it's this long document called the SPARS pandemic 2025 to 2028, a futuristic scenario for public health risk communicators. And this is basically a guidebook to how they're going to handle the public communications around a new pandemic in 2025. And this is funded by Bill Gates. There's people in here from Johns Hopkins. This is by the Johns Hopkins Health Security Center. This thing is real. Johns Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, Texas State, Columbia University. This thing is real. So go on the uh, info stream. I want to read the whole document before I talk about it. I've talked about a few pages or I've read a few pages and it is as dystopian as you might imagine. But have a look at this. I'm going to read it and then we're going to talk about it. But this is going to be a big deal, I think. And it's amazing to get something like this this far in advance while everybody's eyes are on this stuff. Um, so whoever leaked this, however it got out, however it came to people's attention, it's awesome. Um, I would suggest downloading it. There's a download link in Telegram. So just go to the info stream and you can find it. it I posted it last night, um, Sunday, February 21st. It would have been. So uh, I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. 
On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!